1: FM. Why is it important to listen to music while you work? Will Henshaw is the founder of Focus at Will, which is a new neuroscience-based web mobile tool that specifically uses sequenced instrumental music tracks to increase your attention span up to 400% when working and studying. Will is a musician, scientist, songwriter, technology inventor, working with audio to find the right music, at the right place at the right time. He was the founder of the British pop soul band London Beat and had two Billboard number no. one hit records. He then went on to found Rocket Network, a Paul Allen Cisco funded San Francisco company, in 1995. And afterwards, he created a professional audio media transfer system, Digi Delivery, which he sold in 2003. Will has achieved notable global success both as a musical. In visual artists, as well as a technical inventor. Today, Will will share with us why Focus at Will will help you with work or study. Will, hello and welcome to my show.
2: Hi, thanks a lot. That was quite an intro. Did I write that or did you write that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was quite an intro. I wrote it. I put it together with your information. All oh, so, right, thank you. And we also have Jeff Astraw, who's the Focus Ninja in the background, who might be piping in from time to time throughout this interview. But I'm right. really fascinated with this company, Focus at Will, and why you started it.
2: Well, as a musician uh, and a scientist, I sort of am equally left and right-brained. Um, I've been really interested in how, how as a songwriter, I have a, an intuitive ability to put together a string of, of chords and, and words and, uh, and melody to create something that somehow connects. And um, you, you mentioned London Beat. <clears throat> I, I, I was the uh, guitar player in the band London, London Beat, and I wrote the song "I've Been Thinking About You." And if I, I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you. Most people will remember that. So, I got really interested in why is it that some songs, in some ways, become part of a sort of a um, the national culture, the infrastructure of our society. And some songs don't. You know, there's some awesome songs out there that get played once on the radio. You never hear them again. And I got I got just interested in the way that um, us human beings react to music. And that's the thing that started driving folks at will. Um, I had a couple of friends. Um, ironically, one is Dr. Kiki Finch, uh, Dr. Kirsten uh, 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 Kiki Finch is a nickname Dr. Kirsten uh, uh, Kirsten Sanford who is from UC Davis ironically um, <laughs> and I think she used to be on your radio station doing uh, a science program uh, oh, at some point she's a friend of mine and it took her a long time to do her PhD like it does and I sat with her one day and said hey um, I noticed you're listening to music while you're working what is it and it started a conversation about why some people find that listening to music while they're studying helps. What is it that's doing that? And then at the same time, I got very interested in Kindles. Um, it was an early Kindle. This would have been about, I guess, 2006 when I started this. And um, I noticed that when you saw people out with a Kindle, they ne- in public, they nearly always have headphones in. You know, you see on a plane, you see people reading, but they often get headphones in. Mm-hmm. And um, another couple of friends of mine, both physicians, um, had, had also talked to me about how one guy said he had a Vangelis album that he used to listen to all the time, and it was his study music. And then someone else said, I listen to Goa Trance. <laughs> Go a Trance. Um, so I started to realize that there is this effect that, that that music has on us in the background. So there's two kinds of music. Uh, in other words, we as human beings, um, we can either actively listen to music with our conscious mind. We, you know, you go to a show, you watch, you too, you're actually consciously there uh, as part of that experience. That is what your attention is on. And in, in, in um, neurological terms, in neuroscience-based terms, that's your focal attention is on the music. <clears throat> but there's another use of music in our society, which is background music. Mm-hmm. In other words, this is music that is um, being um, noticed by your non-focal attention, by your often your non-conscious mind. And some examples of that would be um, elevator music, Mm-hmm. you're in the dentist's office there's music on you, you know you you're you're shopping we're all familiar with retail there's there's very specific kinds of music playing in the background in different kinds of stores based on the demographic and you know all kinds of stuff there's a <clears throat> there's a there's a whole industry of of um of uh people doing you know specific music for specific kinds of retail um and then um i got as i said i got very interested uh in why some people like to music when they're working and studying, and some people don't. And um, around the same time, um, I got interested in uh, actually measuring the brain and uh, being able to see what kind of brain waves are being triggered when you're doing certain things. You know, Is it possible to measure, for instance, whether, you are, whether you're concentrating properly or not? Um, You've heard athletes talking about flow states, right? Mm-hmm. Most people look familiar with that. The idea of a flow state is that when you are completely engaged in something, if you're an athlete, you just get out onto the field and all of a sudden you're in flow. You, you know, you have the ball and all of a sudden everything slows down and you know exactly what you're doing. We've all seen it do it and the greatest athletes in the world are just insanely clever at doing it. Um, but we're all familiar with that thing which is called a flow state when you are absolutely on something, you're doing something, you're working or you're studying or you're creating something or you're maybe thinking about something. And all of a sudden you have no concept of time. You're just in the moment. Mm -hmm. And we as human beings, when we're in a flow state can achieve amazing things. Any of us can. Um, And, um, I found there's a correlation between being in a flow state and being highly productive and being able to study effectively and being able to concentrate when you're doing something at work. And uh, this is a long-winded answer to a very simple question. (laughs) (laughs) But the core of it is this. I got interested in, is there a way to find specific kinds of music that will help you get into a flow state for working and studying?
1: So I want to go back to something because as you were talking about elevator music or background music or, you know, Mm -hmm. we watch TV shows or movies. I mean, and I've noticed this when I've watched, you know, a movie and then I've seen the movie without the soundtrack. I don't have that same energy pulsing. It it sounds like for a non-music person like me that the music kind of gives a structure in that space.
2: Yeah. Um, what music does is it drives our emotional self. It drives this part of the brain, which makes us feel stuff. And so you, you may have heard of a part of the brain called the limbic system. Mm-hmm. So the limbic is, uh, uh, it's this sort of, some people incorrectly call it the, the reptile brain. um, it, it kind of is. It's the part of the brain uh, at the back of the brain. It's a limbic. And it's the, the gatekeeper in in, sort of brain, uh, in the way your brain works. It's the gatekeeper that manages your emotions. It's where all the fun stuff happens. It's where you feel happiness and love and excitement and terror. and it, so It's the thing that drives the stuff that makes us human. The way that music works is it directly affects that mechanism. So when you're talking about a movie... What's happening is the story on the screen, the narrative, the things that you can see are being underpinned uh, by what's happening in the music. And um, interestingly, here's, here's something that you and, the, and your listeners might not know. When you're watching a movie, the music cues are usually ahead of the action. Mm. They're not when the action's happening. Here's one I, can, I, I know you'll be like, oh, I get it. Everybody remembers Jaws, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The movie Jaws. Imagine the, the classic bit in the movie when it's a beautiful day on the beach and the girl is swimming around and you can see the boat and it's just a nice day on the beach and there's a girl swimming in the boat. What is terrifying is the fact that the music goes do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, doo, <laughs> right? <laughs> Your limbic system is triggered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <clears throat> that is what makes that so terrifying. I've actually seen a demo of someone doing this where they brought the music in when the shock happened. And it was a shock and it was not scary because you were just like, oh my God, but the suspense is created by that music coming in early. And so music in movies has a, has a highly specific role. It leads you into the emotion that the, um, the director wants you to feel. And as you rightly said, if you listen to a movie without a soundtrack, if you watch a movie without a soundtrack, it, it just doesn't make any sense,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, but but that is music for a specific reason. That is music to make you feel emotional. It is music to help you, and it's kind of background music. But it's actually not. It's part of your experience. You're, you are focusing on the story, and the music is a sort of a secondary piece of the way that story is getting to you. The, the, the now elevate the music, right? Mm-hmm. Is not that. Elevator music is happening in your non-conscious mind, happening in the background. And you probably don't notice it unless you find it annoying.
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: (laughs) And its role is different.
1: So can you explain the difference between the limbic brain and the non-conscious mind for my listeners who may be a little confused by that?
2: Yeah, you could think of it. um, The brain is an incredibly complex thing. And so anybody listening who's a, a, a neuroscientist is going to be <laughs> reaching out through, the, through their speakers and smacking me around the head for sort of generalizing like this. <laughs> um, but if you think about the way the brain works, like right now, I'm talking to you, I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm, I'm standing here on my deck uh, in the background. Uh, when I notice it, now I'm listening, there's some birds singing, I can feel the, uh, there's a breeze, I'm in San Francisco, I can look out over the bay. Um, my non-conscious attention was aware of all of those things. My, non, my, my non-conscious my mind was aware of all those things through my limbic system. But my conscious mind, in other words, me talking and thinking, is directed at you. Mm-hmm. So we have these two pieces of our brain. And um, a, a good example, actually, of, of how this doesn't work well is people with autism. Um, you know how just to sort of, uh, summarize, uh, autism, what's happening is someone with autism gets overstimulated by everything all the time. And someone with severe autism shuts down because it's so scary because they hear and see everything all the time and they can't, someone standing where I am now with, with severe autism would notice everything. They'd be that there's so much stimulus for them that they can't concentrate. And it's, it's a terrifying thing to have. Um, But for most people, your non-conscious brain is looking after your well-being. It's making sure there's not a bear behind you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's checking that you're not hungry. It's checking that you're in a safe place. And it's checking um, all the time that that you're okay. It's looking after your well-being. So the limbic system is, is what's driving that mechanism.
1: Okay, so the limbic system and the non conscious mind are connected together.
2: Again, if there's neuroscientists listening to this, they're going to be like reaching out, but yes, it's fair to generalize and say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, that's exactly right. So the limbic is, is how we react to music. We, we, we love that. I love that song. It, mm-hmm. It's your limbic telling you that. The link between focus at will the music that we do and the limbic is that we have found there is a very specific kind of music which is able to engage the limbic in a very specific way um think about this i, I don't know if you have any kids but anybody who does will be familiar with this you put the kids in the back seat mm-hmm. and then you hit then you hit you, know, you go to the beach The kids in the backseat will be fighting. (laughs) They'll be like, are we there yet? They're just completely distracting you. You're trying to drive. And in the end, like, guys, you know, what can you do? The limbic system is often like that to you while you're trying to do stuff. It's like the kids in the backseat giving you, you know, (laughs) are we there yet? Mm -hmm. So while you're trying to sit and do stuff, particularly uh, that you're not particularly motivated to to do. For instance, um, Monday morning good morning, and you've got to do a report. You're sitting at your desk. You've got to get a report done. You sit down. You try and work. You try and concentrate. But the kids in the back seat <laughs> are going, you know, I'm hungry. Did I put the dog out? You know, I forgot. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Oh, I forgot to. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the kids in the back seat. That's, it's a pretty good parallel, actually, for what happens, and we're all familiar with that. So we found that there's a way to... Play certain kinds of music to stop that happening, and it works by um, the amount of emotion is managed very carefully, and we just play exactly the right pieces of music to keep the Olympic from <clears throat> uh, from being uh, from from ignoring it. So it's like this: you've got the kids in the back seat, <laughs> right? They're causing so much of a ruckus. You turn around and give them a Game Boy each. Mm-hmm. Now they've got something to do. They're mm-hmm. kind of distracted.
1: <laughs> oh. that,
2: so what we do is we distract your limbic just enough. You don't want to knock the kids out. Although I tell you, with my own kid, I've been, I've been, <laughs> I've thought about <laughs> throwing him a zax a couple of times <laughs> on the laundry. <laughs> but what you want to do is distract it just enough. So it's got something to, to do. Just, is that okay? Is this, is this safe for me? Um, what is that? And you keep that process going. And it uh, stops, for most people, it works for about two people out of three. It stops that process of those little voices in your head. Um, Usually, most people can work for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes before you start thinking about other stuff. Um, I found that we can, uh, as you see in the intro, we we found that some people can work up to 400%, about an hour and a half or, or even longer in a single sitting. Uh, by finding the right uh, kind of music on the on the system,
1: and so I love that metaphor that you gave about the kids because I do have kids and a lot of my <laughs> listeners do, right? And so yeah, the <laughs> distraction piece, and it's usually the iPhone now, right? Like the parent, that's yeah. the, the best yeah. babysitting thing ever. Is yeah. let me give you my iPhone so that you can calm down, and so that's yeah. exactly what Focus at Will does. Is yeah. it gives like if our kid, if our limbic system is our children in the back of the car. <laughs> <laughs> right and you're yeah. now giving it something to you know pay attention to then we can actually focus instead of oh i need to go on facebook or oh i need to go do this instead of yeah. sitting down to do work and to get into our flow state which can be difficult for a lot of people
2: that's a really good summary if you think about where we've come from as human beings um you know however you know millions of years whatever it is um our survival, the, the, our ancestors, yours and my ancestors, who, who got us here today, you know, back in caveman times, um, you know, your granddad and my granddad, uh, you know, caveman granddad, back in the day would have been in a cave, maybe drinking some caveman beer and um, painting on the walls, cave painting, right? When they were standing in a cave with their back to the entrance, their limbic systems we're highly motivated <laughs> and mm-hmm. successful to know, is there a bear behind me? Mm-hmm. Is the tiger? Is this person next to me going to clobber me? What's going to happen? That mechanism is the limbic, and that mechanism is an evolutionary survival thing. It's true of all animals. It's, it's the same mechanism. That fight or flight. And that mechanism is always looking, it's always looking uh, to find out. Uh, it's actually looking for danger or reward. And, uh, when, when, when you're in a situation where you're engaged in something, this part of your brain is always in your non-conscious mind is looking out for your safety. Mm -hmm. So wind forward quickly to today. It's not, it's not, it's a completely new thing for us as humans to be sitting in an office, staring at a computer screen for hours on end while we're trying to concentrate on something. And this mechanism it's still rampant in your brain. It's saying, Is that a bear behind me? And What's that? What is that thing? You've been sitting here long enough. You need to get up, <laughs> check out that there's that there's nobody behind you. This is at a very, you know, fundamental you know, emotional level. But that is the thing that's driving you. And um, the the reason why you get distracted is distracted is that mechanism. Um you know, right now, for instance, if there's a huge noise outside, Olympic will be like, hang on, I've just got to deal with this.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, can I smell smoke? Hang on a minute, can I smell smoke? <laughs> right. <clears throat> it's fascinating how we are very, very close in some ways evolutionary to, to you know, our, our, our ancestors.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, when I first heard about your company, I was fascinated with it. So I went to the website, checked it out, and what it did for me, Will, is that it validated me because when I was in college and I actually went to UC Davis as an undergrad, um, mm-hmm. I would a lot of times I'd had a hard time shutting down the world and my busy mind, and so I'd like to study from like midnight mm-hmm. to three in the morning. But mm-hmm. I also liked if it was during the day, I like to put on classical music, and that just right. helped me get into my flow. and so then when I f- you know find your your company, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I used to use, you know, mm-hmm. and um and i'm going to be using it i've used it to prepare for this interview and i'm going to be using it as because <laughs> i have to read i read a lot of books for this show so i it, even this morning when i was seeing about this interview i was like hey i could use this website as i'm trying to read all this really heavy non fiction to prepare for mm-hmm. my shows i right. can use this music in the background that'll help me get focused more cuz that is really when i'm at my best so it allows me to properly learn
2: that's Perfect validation. Thank you. I, I'm going to cut. I'm going to cut out what you just said, and I'm going to copy it, and I'm going to put it on my website.
1: <laughs> Feel free. Um, so, one of the things that I did notice is that there have been benefits with ADD and ADHD, and can you share that with the listeners?
2: Oh, I'd be honored to truly. Um, yes, uh, we, we have actually on our team um, a, a physician called Dr. Edward Hallowell, Um he is um, one of the world experts on ADHD and um actually I'll tell you the story of how we met him um I, I found out about um you know uh, about the ADHD world and I was very interested I read a lot There's a couple of best selling books um by actually by uh, Edward Hallowell uh, Ned Hallowell is his is his nickname and I um I, I was saying to my team, Jeff, who's on the line right now. I said, Jeff, you know, I'm trying to get hold of Ned Hallowell because I think he'd be—I'd love to ask him about ADHD. We were finding reports from users uh, who found us uh, who would say, "Listen, I have pretty really severe ADHD, and your system is really, really helping me." So one morning, I'm uh, I'm in my office, and the phone rings, and this big, deep voice goes, "Hi, it's Ned Hallowell. <laughs> I was like, "Oh." <laughs> He goes, I don't know if you know me. I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) sure, sure. (laughs) Anyway, to cut a a long story short, Ned himself has ADHD, found our system, and has been using it to write his new book. He said to me that that the thing that we have found, this specific kind of music, is at the vanguard of treatment for ADHD. So, you know, ADHD, again, is to do with, it, it's a very complex thing, but you could simplify it by saying that your, your brain is overstimulated, the your limbic is doing too much, and um, the little voices don't only, you know, wait a while, they're there all the time. People with severe ADHD are incredibly disadvantaged, Sir. It's a debilitating thing. About 15% of the population um, uh, have some form of ADHD. Here's the interesting thing. The 15% of people have ADHD overlay very well on the 15% of the population who are the most gifted and talented people. Wow. Which is is interesting, right? Mm -hmm. ADHD is not necessarily a problem. I'm quoting Ned actually here. He said, ADHD is a phenomena that 15% of us have. As you may gather, I have ADHD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just discovered maybe that's why I've been able to achieve so much. It It's become a bit of a stigma. And um, <clears throat> the conventional treatment for it has been pharmaceuticals,
0: mm-hmm.
2: the stimulants. And the way they work is the stimulants... Um, sort of overclock the brain in such a way that it's able to calm you down. Let let me ask you a question. So Mm -hmm. when you drink coffee, um, one of three things generally seems to happen to people. The first thing is you don't really like it. It makes you jittery, right? The second thing is you drink a coffee and it it does it, calms you down a bit and you're able to focus. You need a coffee in the morning to get going. Well, the third thing is you drink a coffee, nothing happens or you get sleepy, what do you
1: sit on that? Mm, you know, well, so I drink two cups a day. And the first one is just, I think I love my ritual right. so much. It's very soothing. Um, right. And the second right. one sometimes can be a bit much and I can get jittery. But that one's later in the day. But otherwise, I am i mean, I'm pretty calm. I don't feel, I drink it, I've drank it now for a few years. So I don't get that. I used to get that kind of inertia. I don't have that mm-hmm. anymore. Right. But the second one, I can feel that. And then that, it's that franticness that... I have a hard time. Um, that's not a great place for me to write from or to try to do right. any radio preparation.
2: So if you think about those three answers uh, on a scale, mm-hmm. so from, from um, you know, uh, less to more, mm-hmm. that maps pretty well on the kind of brain type you have. You can find out whether people are, are really HD. ADHD, often Again, I'm generalizing, but it's it's true often Mm -hmm. that people who have uh, 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 strong ADHD, when they drink a coffee, it calms them down. And in some extremes, they'll drink four or five coffees and get sleepy and go and have a nap. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: (laughs) Well, of course, caffeine's a stimulant. Um, You know, the the Adderall and Ritalin and all of these um, pharmaceutical drugs are strong stimulants. And so a lot of people who have ADHD... Uh, they find that taking a stimulant somehow overclocks the brain and slows them down and uh, enables them to focus. Um, Ned Halliwell told me an amazing number. He said um, trauma, people who work in trauma in emergency rooms, the medical personnel um, or battlefield um, surgeons are almost 100% ADHD And what happens is when there's a huge amount of stimulus, when there's a lot of crazy stuff happening, they go into this kind of flow state and everything, when they've got a lot of stimulus, a lot of things happening, they're able to really just deliver and be concentrate and just get things done. ADHD is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So I'll just jump jump to focus at will. So we have found that. Certain channels on our system, certain kinds of music, have the same effect on your brain as those stimulants do. And so people with ADHD find that the up-tempo electronica is like uh, pretty intense um, uh, minimal techno music. And we have one channel in particular called ADHD, which sounds like jackhammers going off. <laughs> it's, it's impossible for some people, who really need that super overstimulation, it calms them down. Someone wrote to us the other day and said that they like to listen to uh, our ADHD channel because it calms them down and and they you know they like to rest with it. And I'm like, "Wow. <laughs> <laughs> People are weird <laughs> <laughs> but Ned's um Ned's um, uh, influence and uh, and advice and and his role in in us uh, creating this has been, we are finding that um, people who take uh, st- the stimulants are very strong um, they, it, you know, anybody who who takes uh, Adderall or, or, or any of these things there are a lot of side effects
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, it affects your sleep pattern, sure you can focus, it affects your appetite, it affects your sociability there's, there's a lot of things it affects it's, it's a form of methamphetamine mm-hmm. you know um, and we're finding that some people can listen to our system and they need less meds. That's a very wow. tangible result. Wow. Very tangible. Yeah. And, and some people are saying that they're actually able to um, not use meds at all. So of course, you know, as you know, I'm not a doctor and I don't advise anyone listening. Uh-huh. <laughs> to to, uh, to try this. But some people are reporting that that is the case.
1: Will, can you repeat that again? You cut out it for a second there. So if you could repeat. So some people what?
2: Some people are finding um, that they can use less meds, less of their ADHD medication, when they're listening to the music on our system. And that means that there are less side effects Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. There's there's less of a a chemical load on their system. and it's, it's a very exciting thing to be able to help people in a tangible way like this.
3: We've got somebody, if I can hop in for a sec. We Just yeah. just a couple of days ago, I've got a few of these up in front of me, this is Jeff. Uh, we had a guy write in that said that he wrote, read an article by by Dr. Hollowell and said he was pleasantly surprised by the music choice that we have in our ADHD beta channel, and he's a diagnosed ADHD himself. He says he's surprised because it validates everything he's been telling people why I listen to dubstep music at my age. doesn't tell us how old he is, but that's okay. Um, He says he tries to tell them and helps them concentrate, yet to neurotypicals it seems to do the opposite. We've heard this time and time again, it's a really polarized response to that channel in specific because it's so much going on that for certain people, it's almost life altering in in, in a really beautiful way because it does that, it lets them drown everything out that's going on in the background and really hone in on what's in front of them. But for some people and including diagnosed ADHD and ADD people, it does completely the opposite. And it's really distracting and nerve-wracking and, and upsetting. And, and so we tell them, you know, we, we, we knew going into this it was going to be polarized. It wasn't going to be for everyone. For the people it works for, by all means, keep using it. And uh, if sort of our more relaxing, ambient, classical, alpha-chill channels work, then we steer them back in that direction. But the, the other one, and I'll, I'll just read this verbatim because this one is a powerful one that's up on our site, but it's, it's worth sharing with your listeners real quickly. This gentleman wrote in and said, I just called my nine-year-old son in to take a listen. I didn't tell him which focus it will channel I was putting on. I simply asked him to let me know which channel made him feel relaxed and soothed and which he felt like was more focused, uh, more focusing. His feedback was that the ADHD channel, which is the Jackhammer one, right? And the spa nature channel were the most focusing and the others were more sleep inducing and soothing. I decided to leave the ADHD set to high intensity on the background <laughs> While I asked him several more unrelated questions about deep subjects, he was way more engaged and articulate in his answers. I do not have ADHD. Listening to this music is very difficult for me, but it is the perfect example of just how differently we are wired. And that is very helpful to remember. But I'm going to have him listen with headphones on in his room. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of response we've gotten from, from our members. and It's just it's really moving for both Lou and I.
2: Well, you know, it, and it really is.
1: The thing is that like and I know a lot of parents and I know a lot of kids who do get put on, you know, medicines and parents are really apprehensive, right, to be put their child on pharmaceuticals. But if here's a tool out here that they can work with and and test out with I mean, there's really no downside, right? You test it out, nope. see how those, how does it work, and if it does work or it doesn't work, but you can go and test it out and just and see without the pharmaceutical repercussions.
2: Yes. Uh, that's what Hallowell has been saying. He's he's um he's a complete uh, advocate of what we're doing to to his users. Um something that I, I sort of related to this, anyone who's got teenage kids will know exactly what I'm I about do. to say. Right? <laughs> they want to listen to their music while they're studying.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. I
2: don't know if your kids do. Oh yes. Like, I want to do it. This is my music, I wanna do it. Oh, it sucks, right? Well, we did some studies on um we did a clinical trial where we had uh, people trying to read something, listening to varying kinds of music of their choice, <clears throat> listening to nothing, and then um, listening to focus so well. And the, the, the net result of the study is that if you listen to music that you like, now I'll be very specific about that. This is music you can buy. This is music... On the radio, this is R and B, rap, rock. It doesn't matter what it is, music that moves you in some kind of way. If you do that, it is taking up a, uh, it is engaging your brain. That's what it's for. That's why you like it, and it is an overhead on your on your cognitive thinking. For some people, it's as much as fifteen or even twenty percent. It's like you know when you're doing a print job on your computer mm-hmm. and it slows your computer down.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's like that. Um, the, the music which is the most engaging, which is the music that, you know, snoop and <laughs> rap, it gets you on lots of levels, um, is, is actually the most distracting. If anybody's ever tried to write a paper while they're listening to rap music, good luck to them. <laughs> you're going to be writing all kinds of things that you're hearing in the background. Um, so the message to people with kids is really discourage your kids from listening to music the music they like while they're trying to work. It, it really is distracting, um, which is where we come in. Um, if you like to listen to music, well, listen to the right music. Um, you know how music is, you know, what do we think of music? What is music? Well, it's entertainment, of course. It's, um, it's this sort of common language we all understand. And we have a relation to it of, I love this track. I love that music. I love this album. I'm going to put this album while I'm doing this. If you love this album and you put it on while you're trying to do something, part of your brain is loving that album. Distracting you. Mm-hmm. So you know, don't, yeah. let, well, don't let your kids listen yeah. to their music while they're doing their homework.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a question of mine. And I'm trying to figure out because right. I have a 14-year-old daughter and right. music is always on right? Mm -hmm. It's just always on. And whether it's coming from the computer or iPod, or she's got the iPod connected to the house, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. stereo system, it's always on. And she likes to listen to music. And um, I'm trying to figure out a way to break it to her that she needs to listen to focus at will instead of listening to her music while she's studying. Um, And I can't really share.
2: I I could jump in and say, the focus at will music contains channels of uptempo electronica by artists, That she knows and likes. And there are mixes and there is stuff on there that she would listen to. Okay. (laughs) It's not like, oh, this is stupid, bleepy Star Trek stuff. I hate classical music. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's not
3: that. You know, another thing that, that, that real quick I'd like to point out too is that, you know, even people that like to listen to their own music and it might be something that's really useful for focus, like a Brian Eno CD or something, right? The problem that we've seen time and time again is that the brain kind of gets used to that one stream uh, the, the 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 neuroscience term is habituating to it and and over time it works less and less well for them so one of the other key components of what we do over at focus at will is is we provide a dynamically generated music sequence which is a fancy way of saying it's not the same every single time you click play. Um, and, and in doing that, we, we try to mix up the right amount of, of new and novel music to familiar music to really keep you, uh, again, it's all about that soothing the limbic system, right? But that, that's a really key piece that we found is that not having static playlists or a static you know, single 10 songs for, for the one hour, um, that, that tends to work less and less well over time. So just wanted to make sure I pointed that out.
1: Jeff, can, you, good say, point, Jeff. can you say more about the habituating of the brain?
3: Yeah, and maybe will can even speak to that a little bit more as well. But, you know, the the the, the, the example I always like to use is that if you're going out camping and uh, you, you first set up your tent and you, you hear all these crickets around mm-hmm. and you think, my God, I'm never going to be able to fall asleep tonight because these crickets are just driving me crazy. You know, about 20 minutes or so later, you don't even notice that there's crickets at all. And it's not that the crickets suddenly silenced themselves and went away. It's that your brain habituated to that background noise. So what, what your brain will do is it, it realizes that there's no danger and it will slowly begin to phase out that audio stimulus as not really important to your well being. And it'll do the same thing to focus at will or at any background music. Uh, it, it will habituate or sort of tell your, your, uh, you, that you don't need to be paying any attention to it. And then it'll sort of, your distracting limbic system will kick back into gear. So, what we do is right around the time that someone would normally habituate, around 20, 20 minutes or so, is we alter our music stream slightly, whether it's through a key change or a tempo change or a positive negative sort of balance. We do something slightly in the music stream to keep you engaged, but not lift you out of focus. So, it's a real fine line. Because um, if we if we jar it too much, then all of a sudden you notice it, and we're not doing the job of really keeping you on task. And if we don't if we don't move the meter enough, your brain starts to tune it out, and then it just becomes you know like an ocean sound or something in the background that's easy enough to uh, to ignore. Okay, so, so does I'm, that, make sense?
1: that makes sense. And so I'm going to become like one of your biggest fans because. You know, obviously this works for me and then, you know, I'm going to be bringing this on with my kids and I've already told people about Focus at Will. But here's the other side that I like about this is you guys are figuring out the music, right? All I have to do is click a button that says play. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to worry about habituating. I don't have to worry about, oh, I need to find new music. You guys have that taken care of. It's really simple for me. I just have to log into your account into my and, account.
3: And if we get it wrong for you, and something is really distracting, you just skip it, and we remember that you skip it. We never play you that song again. So it really is like we do all the sourcing and curating for you, so that it's it's really just push play and then go on go on about your business. That's that's you really summed it up well nicely there. Thanks.
1: Um. So what do you mean we skip it and you remember it? What do you okay. mean by that?
3: 'm I'm, I'm glad you asked. So we have a skip button. It's one of the three big buttons on you know, we have a timer, a play button, and a skip button. and and what we encourage people to do is if you find something distracting, whether it's they really, really like a song or you really, really don't like a song, uh, we ask that you skip it. and then that removes it from your personal focus at will future sessions. So our service remembers you and and your preferences in skips, and we won't play you that same track again. So, uh, over time, you begin to tune our service to what you personally uh, find distracting and, and eliminate all of, you know, any of those things, things that poke out through the music stream as distracting to you for any reason. And over time, it's just going to behave better and better and, and, and get you deeper and longer focus sessions. It's, it's actually the
2: opposite of what you usually do with, with music. Well, it's a so, like
3: button, right? Yeah. Like right. Like
2: you know, we, we're familiar with Pandora, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that song, Thumbs Up. You can thumbs down a song so you don't play it, but if you like it, Pandora's actually their business model is a discovery engine. They're all about playing you great new stuff that you know you'll like. You like this track? We'll play you this track you might like. We're the as Jeff says, we're the opposite. <laughs> we our goal is to play you music stream you don't actually notice, and that is when we're working great. A, <laughs> a, this is the most ironic thing ever. Here I am, a, a songwriter. You know, my income still comes from from songwriting, and here I am. Uh, with a new venture that the goal is to play your stuff that you don't notice. (laughs) (laughs) And if you notice it, whether you like it or you dislike it, the important thing is, Jeff said, if you notice it, uh, skip it because it's it's distracting you.
1: Well, yeah, because it's distracting you from getting into that flow space. Mm-hmm. right and that and mm-hmm. that's so focus at will is about providing that structure to get into that flow space when you want to yes. be entertained or you know be in a different space then you listen to different music so this is about productivity mm-hmm. and how you can be you know you can increase your attention span and be focused and in that flow
2: space yeah i sometimes say to people listen if you're trying to entertain yourself by listening to music you like it's like drinking a whiskey when you're working right <laughs> Don't do it. Get on with your work. Go home, have a whiskey, and listen to music you like. The different things.
1: Okay, so now I have a question for you because my husband is a swim coach at UC Davis, and I was telling him about you know, my interview with you today and, and the music and stuff, and I also wanted to bring up this you know, teenage problem we have going on. And, um, and he said, well, I, I think I'm going to play this in the weight room you know, when, when the swim team lifts weights. And I said, well, the music is kind of calm. You know, he goes. I, he said, "I I just need music that doesn't have words that can, you know, they, so they can focus and you know, and be engaged." And so I said, "Well, I can ask about how does, does how does focus that will correlate with exercise?"
2: Well, we have looked into other uses for non conscious music that affects your non conscious, and it's about what you're doing. So this system, as it's designed today, is specifically created and targeted at a task, which is cognitive, um, enhancing cognitive ability while you are working and studying, particularly typically on a computer screen or you're doing, you know, you're like, say, you're, you're sewing or you're doing something creative. When you're working out, a different part of your brain is engaged. Some people have told us they use our stuff at the gym. But it doesn't tend to have enough foreground attention Mm -hmm. to help you, because if you think about it, if you're working on a spreadsheet, or you're writing a document, or you're you know creating some art, you are really focused on that thing. But when you're working out, you're not. You are in a different space. You're in a, ideally, you're in a sort of meditative flow state, but based on your physical body. And the kind of music you need in the background is different. Mm -hmm. Um, We're looking at other uses for unconscious music um i, I don't want to say too much about them now and obviously mm-hmm. working out is one of them but you you know you, you it may work but you may find that a really slamming techno channel on <laughs> Pandora works better for that
1: mm-hmm. well because you know like as you said earlier in the in the interview like the flow state of athletes, right it's because yes. these are high level athletes where the intensity right. and focus need to be there and with that with limited into distraction so music's important but not with you know he doesn't want it to get in the way he wants it to help support give a structure of high performance
2: yeah, there's actually um a measurable uh, state for high-level athletic performance, and it's called a high alpha, high beta state. They're, they're, you, you know, you and your listeners, you have probably heard people talk about alpha, beta, theta, so on. Mm-hmm. The brain, the brain has, the brain is incredibly complicated and gives out you know, millions of frequencies at the same time. It's um, <clears throat> it, it's this huge dynamic process, and within those millions of frequencies that are playing, there are there are more dominant. There are more dominant frequencies measurable while you're doing different things, and um, for our for our um, use, you know, there are a very specific combo of things we measure and we look for um, in the brain, and they're different than the athletic brain, um, than the ideal uh, flow state for athleticism. And if you think about if you uh, the state you need to be in as an athlete is. Completely calm, completely relaxed, relaxed, and yet completely ready. Mm-hmm. It's the strangest state you've got to be in. You've got to be in ready to go. You've got to be able to um, be, you know, just completely um, primed for everything. Yet you've got to be completely calm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: High alpha, high beta, and um, when you see. You know, when you see astonishing athletes, uh, you know, back in the day, Michael Jordan. When you when you saw these guys, uh, Kobe. The I mean, when you see them just before they go on the uh, on the court, you you're just like you're aware. He's almost in a Zen state,
0: mm-hmm. but
2: he's he's not like a. <laughs> it's not like a uh, a monk sitting there chilling. He's like a you know a killing <laughs> a killing machine <laughs> mm-hmm. in a Zen state, which is. A true warrior sense, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. So, So, Will, as we wrap up today, what are a couple of takeaways for the listeners to increase their work or study flow?
2: Well, the obvious one is a don't do. Don't listen to music you like while you're trying to work or study. Different when you're working out.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: sometimes the music you, you like can be very very um, helpful but for work and study don't listen to music you like um, the second thing I would say is um, well apart from the obvious thing about try, <laughs> try listening to folks at will um, make sure that um, you don't try and work for too long be, be realistic about what you can do when. We, we, you know, we sit when we're working and we waste so much time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: How many times have you thought, I actually was only productive for three hours today and yet I had to sit here all day long or mm-hmm. be here all day long? Mm-hmm. It's the most frustrating thing. You know, most of us can work for a, effectively for an hour, hour and a half, and we have get up, stretch, do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most people can do about a two-hour stint if you think about a normal workday, you know, it's eight till 10, you have a coffee and then maybe 10, 15 to 12 or 15 lunch. And then maybe, you know, two o'clock to four o'clock and then maybe four o'clock to six o'clock. That's four two hour stints. Mm-hmm. And yet when we've got a deadline, we often just sit there and grind away.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's really important for people to understand 60 to 90 minutes. And that's something I'm getting better at being conscious about, right? Like, okay, get up go do something else, take a break, and then come yes. back. Or or even do stuff, and then I notice my own creativity flows. You know, this even happened yesterday when I was thinking about, uh, I had a couple interviews to do today. What is it that I want to do? So instead of sitting in front of the computer, I went and did some mundane stuff to let the creativity flow through my brain. Yes.
2: That's right. That's right.
1: Well, Will awesome. and Will and Jeff, thank you so much for being guests today and sharing uh, Focus at Will with my listeners.
2: Thank you. I love I love talking to you. Thank you so much.
1: All right. So we talked about neuroscience in that show, and we also talked about um, music and how that can be beneficial in the habituating that Jeff talked about. And, you know, one of the things is that I think it's really important. There's all these great tools, right? There's so many tools out there. I constantly get in my inbox a number of tools that we can use to improve ourselves, right? That this is going to make it better. And there's a few things that I always kind of apply when I look at this. I don't get overwhelmed because I can't use all the tools, right? Like if you think about your kitchen and your kitchen has lots of tools, which are the ones that you use all the time? Which are the ones that are special tools that are used just for a certain item or maybe a certain recipe and which are the tools that the idea sounds fabulous, but the reality is it's in the corner of a cabinet buried deep inside because it's a pain to clean or it's too much work or there's a lot of frustration that comes with it. So anytime you test out tools, I just invite you to come from this place of, you know, this compassionate observer where you can go and say, hey, I'm going to try this. And will this work for me? You know, and, and then start to you know, you can't try it just once. Um, it's, It's about, I like to practice something for about a month to see, okay, does it work into my flow? Can I build it in? Or is this something that is, you know, actually taking away from my life? So, you know, a month is a good amount of time to kind of test something out and see. But one of the things that becomes so important, and I find this with my clients, is that, Coming from a place where you're rooted, not in this dictator. You must do this because you know. Corinne and Will talked about this, and it will be so much beneficial. Maybe up to four hundred percent, right? You, it's we don't want. Like if I talk to myself in that way, what I've realized is that it triggers my wild child because I'm like, "You're not the boss of me," you know. And it's the, it's so funny because I just realized this recently when it came to sleep. When I was a teenager my dad had said that why would you spend a third of your life why would you waste a third of your life is sleeping that highly influenced me for a long time even till just recently and I know the research now and I understand how important it is to get 79 hours of sleep but for so long especially through my 20s and my 30s I was trying to only sleep 4 hours a day because there was all this stuff to do. Why would I waste my life on sleeping? Well, that didn't really align very well with my own personal health. And now that I know the research, there I was still, in, and I've been practicing sleep, and I've been much better at it, I could notice the resistance that was coming up inside of me. And I would want to stay awake. And then, so then I found a way to kind of trick myself. And I said, oh, there's just so much that I love to do. Isn't that awesome? And I just want to use more time to do that. That was my cell job to myself and what my way to justify not sleeping, right? Or, or pushing it a bit, maybe sleeping six hours. So I'm better than the four hours a night, but let's just do six. When I know that ideally I get it set like about seven hours to, if I can get eight, that's, I'm in a sweet spot, right? Happier, easier to be around, not a short. So, but I was struggling with that. And then I realized it was because I was rooted in this place of dictator. I would look at that research, what I lo- which I love so much. I love research. You know that from listening to the show and the guests that I bring on. So I love the research. Know that it's important to have seven to nine hours of sleep. I have the evidence that when I sleep more, I just do better. My life is better. I feel better. I really like that aspect but I was still not sleeping seven to nine hours because I was rooted in that place of dictator. Once I realized that, because what happens is anytime I'm in that place of dictator, you should be doing this. This is good for you, right? Is that parental voice. My wild child kicks in and goes, let me show you who's the boss of me, right? So my big thing that I practice to be aware of is to not get triggered from a dictator and to not have it as a dictator's voice, And it's about looking at that research and saying, okay, here's this information. This is great. You know, here's how I want to live my life. Here's how I want to feel. What are the things that I want to do? Not, see, notice I didn't say the word should. What are the things that I want to do that will help me live in line with the way I want to live my lifestyle? You know, that live in line with my values. And so just recently, and I was learning from my kids because for since the day they were born, we've been very adamant about sleep and we understand how important sleep is. And so my kids have learned that. And it was like a Friday night and everybody was going off to bed early. and And I thought about it and I was like, wow, our family value is to sleep. And here I am rebelling against it like some teenager or some little kid who's like, no, no, let me stay up. And then I thought about that and I'm, I'm a real big values person. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I, I want my value to be about sleeping because that's a part of you know my new mantra of I'm a person who takes care of herself, right? So when I did that, it was so interesting because I really believed it. It's not something that I'm lying to myself about. It's aligned with who I am. It's aligned with my, as Martha Beck would say, my essential self. And I sleep. I go to sleep, there's not the struggle at night, there's not, oh, I need, what else can I find to watch on Netflix or how, you know, let me go on Facebook and be numbing. There's none of that. It's, it's so much more like what I said in my newsletter a few weeks ago, it's very deliberate, but it's in line with my mantra, I'm a person who takes care of herself. So I give you that as an example, as we talked about the neuroscience and the music and will it focus of being possibly a tool that can help you. Just, I invite you not to ke- come at it from a place of dictator. Cause I know with my clients, they also like to be the boss of themselves. And anytime that's something, you know, it's like they read something, it's like, oh, I should do this because then I'd be so much better. And then they have guilt and they have shame, right? And all that stuff just becomes this downward spiral. And so it's how can you take this research and take those nuggets and then see and test it out and apply it in your life and be rooted in a place of either love or wholeheartedness, right? Where it's about taking care of yourself. It's about connecting with your body. It's like about connecting with your life so that you are living in a life that can allow you to truly flourish. I mean, that is really my intent is that how can we get to a place where we can truly flourish? One of the things that I know that's important for me is sleep, right? Another one is I really like this idea of having music and it makes a lot of sense because when I was in college, I would always throw in classical music and that helped kind of calm my brain a bit and then allowed me to get focused. So finding tools that work for you, that help you, it's not about going and finding something, you know, you can get ideas from other people, but you're different other people. So it's about you testing it out. You can get recommendations, right? I do that all the time. I throw stuff on Facebook. I ask friends for recommendations. And then I go, oh, okay, well, this really applied to me. Does this fit my lifestyle? Is this in line with my values, right? So you can get those outside resources and then test it in that to see how it aligns with you. There's no blueprint out there, right? You know that if you've listened to my show, I talk about that very adamantly. So it's about Testing things out to see if they work for you and being rooted from a place of love for yourself or from a place of wholeheartedness, if love is a tricky word, right? Being rooted in that place instead of being rooted in that dictator. Because anytime we're in that dictator, the wild child comes for a wild visit. I invite you to get rooted in that place of love and wholeheartedness as you go and test these things out. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you, so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones. Who have acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself if that is possible for them. What is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www. How she really does and thanks for listening today.
0: On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so idled.